want to take our Bibles and turn to the Old Testament songbook, the book of Psalms. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, be turning that way. And Psalm 115, as you're making your way there to the Old Testament. And in a moment, we're going to stand and read. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you want to make notes in it, that's fine with us. We should mark up our Bibles and underline those things where God is speaking and highlight the significant points or things that are repeated in the text so that they jump out at us and we realize God's speaking. This word is alive and living. In a moment, we're going to stand and read the word because this book's our authority in life. This book tells us everything we need to know about God and and, and without it, we'd be in the darkness. But God has spoken and, and this light right here wants to illumine our lives. Before we do that, let me just ask you a question this morning. When you uh, punch the clock tomorrow at the factory or go into the office or head to class or there on the ball field tomorrow, what is the reputation of our God among your co-workers? What, what is the reputation of our God among your fellow students? What, what do they think about our God? I think you would agree with me this morning that God is loving. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe God is faithful and true? Amen? I mean, can you even say that this morning? God loves me. Do you know that to be true? My God is love. Can you say that? My God is love. Can you say my God is faithful? Well, I thought it'd be easier that we're in the sanctuary of God. I mean, it is easy to say those things in the walls of the church. What about on the outside of the walls? What happens when we get outside the walls? How often are we proclaiming these truths about God? It's easy to say it to my brother or my sister. But what about on Monday morning? When I'm in the factory? What about when I'm in the classroom or on the ball field? Or I'm sitting in the doctor's office waiting for a report? When when things aren't going quite well, facing a crisis, or there's a situation and and, and maybe I've got a bad diagnosis. Maybe my children have rebelled against my authority. Or my spouse isn't being everything that he or she should be spiritually. Or when things aren't just adding up and there's more months than there is money. Is God still loving? Is God still faithful? I mean, we just sang beautifully. He's more than enough. I mean, do they know that out there? Outside the walls of the church. Do they know that he's more than enough? Do they revere him? Or do we invite them? To taunt God or question Him. Because we have shut our mouths. You see, we should not give the world the opportunity to speak about our God. Because we're communicating about Him wonderful truths that we know. I mean, you study history. Go read sacred history. See how many times God's people were in difficult situations because of their own decisions. And they were silent And the world opened their mouths. They failed to give God the glory. God's own people. And as a result, what happened? The world began to taunt and question. Hey, where's your God? Where where is he? Is he not able to do something about your situation? They question his power. They question his purposes. They, They don't believe in those things. And yet you and I are supposed to be communicating about him to the world around us. We are lending to his reputation. 
by the way we live our lives by faith. And, and when we don't entertain thoughts that are worthy of God and live with thoughts that are worthy of God, what happens is our God is no bigger than their God. You see, today and next week, we're going to study two attributes of God that, that complement one another. One highlights that our God is exalted. He is higher than anything you and I can imagine. He is so distinct from creation. He's infinitely higher. And the other says, no, God draws near to man and he's present among us. Is he so much higher than us, so lofty, so way up there beyond the clouds that like the prophets, we would say, oh, God, rent the heavens and come down. Do we have that vision of God realizing he is on his throne there in heaven, raised up, exalted, the angels magnifying his name? Do we believe that? Or is he just present among us, near us, intimately acquainted with all of our ways? Well, he's both. He's transcendent so high, but he's also imminent among us. I mean, we've discussed, listen, his aseity, God is holy other. There's no God like him. He's distinct from all of the created order. He is existent in and of himself, and we exist because he declared we should. He's totally sufficient in and of himself. He's infinite, incomprehensible. When you take all those ideas together, it gives us a picture that God exists above and independent from all things, and he's beyond the reach of his creation. He is transcendent. Do we give them a picture of God like that? Do we give them, show them that that's what we truly believe about him? I mean, the psalmist is writing this song in a moment, and, and, and he's going to write a song about God's transcendence. And you say, why? Well, because you see, it's apparent God's people needed to be reminded how exalted the Lord is. He, he's encouraging them perhaps in a particularly stressful season of life or in the midst of a hostile environment, that, listen, you need to entertain thoughts of a God who is high and exalted above all things, even when those around you have no regard for Him. No regard for His precepts. No regard for His principles. No regard for anything that has to do with Him. It wasn't just Israel in the midst of their enemies. It sounds like America sometimes. You see, the psalmist is trying to lift their spirits to remind them, listen, our God is a great God and we should be magnifying his name and realizing who he is. He's not like any of these worthless idols that all the pagans worship. He's not like the worthless deities that they all bow down to and spend their time with. No, our God is awesome. He's transcendent. And you and I are conveying or maybe aren't conveying that message to the world around us. Maybe you need to be reminded of that today. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. We're going to read God's word this morning. And hopefully, listen, maybe I need to recapture a vision of a transcendent God. God so high and exalted above all things. And I need to recognize that in my daily life. Just read with me a few verses here in Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, that's his love, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven, 
And he does whatever he pleases. And Father, God, open our eyes to see you as you truly are, not as we think you to be. God, help us to see that you are high and exalted, magnified, revered. Lord God, that we should have that vision of you and we should entertain thoughts that are worthy of your exalted name. And God, may we never give the world around us an opportunity to taunt you or to taunt us because of our lack of faith or my lack of vision of who you are. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The psalmist is writing and he opens with a declaration that God is the only one that's worthy to receive glory. He has to do that because so often, instead of placing God at the center of our lives and realizing that he alone is worthy of glory, we try to rob him of that glory. It's happened because of what happened in the Garden of Eden there when Adam and Eve fell. Ever since then, there's been a competition for who deserves God's glory. If it's not an idol, it'll often be our own selves because we want to be kings and queens and we want the praise. We don't want to submit to God's authority and give Him the glory that He alone deserves. And yet you and I were made to reflect His glory. You and I were designed to reflect His glory, not just here on earth as His representatives, but when we get to heaven forever and ever. And yet, the sad truth is, we often fail to live up to God's glory. We live in a self-absorbed culture, a selfie culture, a culture that's all about the unholy trinity, the me, myself, the I. And the sad thing is, when we are saturated with ourselves and self-absorbed, there's nothing but miserableness that comes from it. The cure for this, of course, is to be God-absorbed. Your heart, your mind, my heart, my mind, so focused on Him, so, so focused on who He is and what He has done for us, that each day our lives are reflecting that we have had a relation, we're in a relationship with Him, and, and, and He is communing with us, and we are fellowshipping with Him and declaring to the world around us just who He is. Our God is in heaven. He's transcendent. He's high above all things. And you and I were meant to live for His glory. Or as Paul would say over in the book of Corinthians, with everything that we say, everything that we do, every action, every word, every thought, all of it should bring glory to God. That's what we should live like. And the world should hear that outside of the walls of the church. The second part of the verse in, in verse 1 says the reasons why. God has shown us His mercy. That's his hesed, his covenant love. God has loved you, loved us, with an, loved me with an everlasting love. So much so, Paul would say in Romans, what can separate us from it? Anything? The love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Can anything separate us from that great love? No, of course not. And not only that, his truth, his faithfulness, God faithful to every promise he has made to you and to me. There's every reason why I and you should glorify him and he should be the recipient of our glory as we lift it up and we magnify him. His faithful, loyal love and his faithfulness and truthfulness are plenty of reasons. And yet, verse 2 says, Israel's enemies were taunting them. So where is your God? Where is he? I mean, this isn't the first time. You can find about five or six instances of this just in the Old Testament where God's people were taunted. Oh, sing us one of those songs of Zion. They said as we hung our harps by the river. 
when God's people had been exiled. They had been taken out of Jerusalem. They had been taken out of the promised land. Where's our God? He's brought judgment upon his people. And when that happened, the, the, the pagans around them began to taunt them. Go ahead, sing us one of those songs. Look at what's happened to your city. Look at what's happened to your walls. Look at what's happened to your families as God has disciplined you and judged you. Or if he, is he really God or was that our God that did that? You see, over and over again, they mocked them. They, they, they mocked Israel because at various times, they didn't have a high view of God. They did not esteem him greatly. They had disobeyed him, actually. And because of their lack of reverence for God and their disobedience, God's reputation wasn't exalted. And they were made to be the recipients of his judgment. And as a result, the nations mocked. By the way, you can go to the New Testament and you can see that's going to happen in the end times. 2 Peter chapter 3, when it's just like the days of Noah, it says there that they'll come and they'll taunt and they'll say, hey, where's the promise of his coming? Where is he? You said he was coming. Where is he? Where is he, church? Where, where, I thought you said he's coming. And, and even then, Peter reminds them, you know, a, a day with the, the Lord is as a thousand years. Don't forget he's faithful. Don't forget, God will do what he says he's going to do. His sovereign purposes will be worked out. And even when it appears, listen, that, that he's not present, when it might appear that he doesn't love us, when it might appear to the world around us that he's not faithful or true, oh, he is. He is. Because you see, our God is in heaven. He's not here on this earth like that. He, he's on his throne in heaven. You see, he's distinct and distinguished from the idols of this earth. The idols of this earth is, as the psalmist says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. And they have noses, they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Their idols are nothing but dead. Worthless. They can do nothing. They can't walk. They can't talk. They can't do anything. They're just the uh, imagination of their people. You see, why would you worship these things? Why wouldn't you worship the maker of all things? The God who sits in heaven. I mean... The psalmist is saying, look at the worthlessness of these idols that they worship. And we're allowing them to taunt us. I mean, are you not convicted when a, when a Muslim is willing to say, Allah Akbar, praise their God as they slaughter somebody? We and I, you and I should truly praise the Lord as we seek someone to experience life, not death. Isaiah talked about the, the foolishness of idolatry. So did Jeremiah in Jeremiah 10. Isaiah speaks of it twice in Isaiah 44 and 46. You know, he says, listen, a man takes his axe one day and he goes out to the forest. And, and he goes out and he finds him a tree and he, he hacks down that tree. And as he cuts down that tree, he, he, he brings it back. He drags it back with his axe back to his little hut. And there he gets back to his hut and he chops that tree up and, and gets him some kindling and some firewood. And, and, and he, he makes him a little fire there and, and gets his little bowl of uh, for some porridge and, and gets his little stew cooking over that fire and gets him some heat. And, uh, and while that's cooking, he goes back to that tree that he just cut down and he, and he cuts him off a limb and gets out his little carving knife and he just starts whittling. Starts whittling and, and carving his little idol. Give him some eyes, give him a little nose, give him a mouth. 
give him some ears, some hands, stir my pot a little bit, get a little warm. Okay, come back, carve this thing. And, and Isaiah says, this is what they do. And, and then he finishes a little idol. Oh, my, my food's done here. Let me set my idol down and, and get my little bowl of porridge and come back. And, and I want to praise my God who gave me a fire, who, who gave me hot meal. And, and I want to thank you. Isaiah says, can you believe that? How foolish. How foolish that is. That, that's not a God. That God has no mouth to speak. That God has no ears to hear. That God has no eyes to see. That God doesn't bless. That God doesn't provide. That God's a piece of wood. And yet, the fool worships his idol. And see, to God's people, those idols for some reason were attractive. All the nations had them. They worshipped all those idols. They, they, they sacrificed to all those idols. And, and, and thought they were the ones giving the blessings. And yet, you know why they really were attractive? He says it there in verse 7 at the very end. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Th th those idols don't speak. And yet that's why a lot of people want an idol. Because it's easier to submit to a silent God than it is to the God who speaks. You see, the amazing thing is, our God in heaven has spoken. And He has spoken authoritatively. And this is the reason man rebels against him. You know, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are so instructive for all 150 psalms. One about an individual's choice, a decision, whether you will meditate on what God says and listen to the word or listen to the world. It affects not only your life now, but your trajectory and where you'll end up. And then Psalm 2, which highlights the corporate aspect of it, as the nations rage and rebel against God, and they say, let us tear his fetters from us. We don't want to have anything to do with him. We want a God that we can control. We want a God that doesn't tell us what to do. We can tell it what to do. You see, they can't even mutter from their throats. But our God's in heaven. You say, well, where is he? I want to see him. Here's the amazing thing about biblical faith. Our God is not a God who is seen. Our God is a God who is heard. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I mean, idolatry is when you and I entertain thoughts that aren't worthy of him. Whether it's with our mind or our heart. With our mind, when I don't entertain thoughts that are worthy of God, and how am I going to entertain thoughts worthy of God? Well, you see, here's the amazing thing about our God. Our God is not our, from our imagination. Our God has revealed himself in his word right here. That's why this book is so important to you and to me in our daily walk and why I should cherish it in my heart and carry it not just in my hand but in my heart. God has spoken, and he reveals who he is and what he is like. We don't get to define God and put him in, in our own little conceptions and understandings. If that happens, then we might entertain a thought that's not worthy of God. That would be idolatry. But an idol is not just a mental imagination. What you and I might think about him, maybe it's inconsistent with what God's word says. By the way, John would say that to the church in 1 John chapter 5. He would warn the church where he had already said, God is light and God is love. God is holy and we're not. And God is love and has done something to make, all, make a provision for our unholiness. The sacrifice of his son. That's who God is. Not how we think him to be. That's who he is. But John would say at the end of his epistle, Hey, listen, my little children, guard yourself from idols. 
Because you and I are prone to want to define God in a way that really isn't consistent with who He is. And what we do is, listen, we may entertain thoughts that aren't worthy of Him, but not only that, we might substitute a counterfeit God for Him in our lives. Not crafted by wood, not crafted by stone, not crafted by gold or silver, but it just might be a common idol today like money or power or sex. All those things, easy to be substitutes, things that our hearts long for. Anything that takes the place of God to give us meaning and significance, to to give us satisfaction or what we think might be satisfaction. It could be a house, a car, an, an investment, a relationship, some type of experience. But the truth is, only God will bring satisfaction. Only He will. Those idols, those things that we spend our time, our energy, our efforts on, all of our resources that we sacrifice for, those idols, those idols of our heart. That's not the true God. They're things of this earth. Our God's in heaven. And there's no God like Him. And you and I should be worshiping Him, focusing our heart and minds on Him. You see, why is that significant? Because of what it says in verse 8. You can choose the God of heaven, the transcendent one, exalted above all things. You can choose one of these idols of the earth, but you better choose wisely. Because it says in verse 8, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. You see, you and I become like the object we worship. Put an idol before you, something worthless, something dead of this world, and you think you'll find life. The truth is, you'll find death. Put the God who is life, listen, at the center of your life. And if you'll lose your life for him, he says you'll find it. Amazing. You see, you become what you behold. What you and I put at the forefront of our minds and our lives. What we think about, what, we, what consumes our life. And, 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 and we say, that's my God, I worship him. By the way, that's why Paul would say to, you know, author in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, he would say this, listen, as you run the race of faith, how do you run it? Fixing your eyes where? On Christ. Who's seated where? In the heavens. I mean, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Our eyes are fixed on him. We run the race. And as you and I run the race, this is an amazing thing, the Spirit of God transforms our life into his image, like him. Run the race down here in this world, fixing your eyes on some idol of this world, and you'll become like that dead, worthless idol. And you'll never experience life as God intended. Recognize God is transcendent, holy other. Fix your eyes on Him. Run that race of faith. Your life will be transformed and made new. Paul would say it this way over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And who does it? This is the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, as I behold Him, as I run that race, I know what I'm going to become. I'm going to become like Jesus. Isn't that what God's told us to do, die to self and find life in Christ. I mean, that's our faith. But you see, if I don't recognize who the glorious transcendent God is, and I entertain the idols of this world, and I worship them and make those, them the, the, the significant part of my life, I'm going to become like them. 
We need to destroy those idols. We need a great vision, a grand vision, an awesome vision of God. And we should run our race of faith. Elevate your vision and look up, church. And demonstrate to this world around us, we know who our God is and what he's like. And you know what? We're marching to Zion. We need to live. Forgive me, I'm going to bring my army days in. We need to be militant. We need to be militant for our God. He is a warrior God. He is conquering. He is defeating. He has the all, all the power necessary to achieve, achieve the victory. And he's assured it for you and for me through faith in his son. Our faith is the victory to give us the power to conquer this world and defeat it. It doesn't have to defeat us. And we should live like that. And what reputation are we giving to the world around us? Are they asking, so where's their God? When we're going through a crisis, and let's be honest, it's tough sometimes. You don't have to be, you can take the veneer off for a moment and be real. It's hard sometimes. Ever feel like the, the whole world is crashing around you? The psalmist did in Psalm 46. He said it feels like it's all crashing down. And the sea is just turning over and over like a hurricane is about to hit. He says, that's what my life is like. And, and then even in the midst of that, he says, wait, wait, wait. There, there's a river. There's a river that makes glad the city of God. It flows from his throne. Hey, praise God through Jesus. It flows from his throne down into our lives. And it's supposed to bubble up out of our lives into the lives of people around us. When you realize that, even when it's chaos around you, you can be still and know he's God. He will be glorified on earth and in heaven. In fact, several times the psalmist will say that, David, in Psalm 46, over and over again. He will be glorified on earth as in heaven. You see, recognize him and trust in him. They trust in their idols. The idols who cannot do anything for them. You and I are to trust in the transcendent God. In fact, the invitation in verses 9 and 10 and 11 is this. Hey, O Israel, trust in the Lord. You might want to underline that. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. There it is a second time. He is their help and their shield. That's the second time too. Oh, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Third time. He is their help and their shield. Third time. Trust in Him. Why? Because God is your provider and God is your protector. By the way, that's what David said over in Psalm 23. As he walked through life with his shepherd, what did he know? I shall not want. Why? My God provides. He's my help. And I don't fear any evil. Why? Because He's with me. The transcendent God is the one who provides for us and the one who protects us. And we are to live our life in such a way that we are trusting in Him, our help and our shield. Our ultimate help, our ultimate shield. You say, well, Pastor Chris, it doesn't appear that way right now. I'm getting run over by life. He's still on His throne. In fact, he allows those circumstances in your life and my life to grow our faith, to stretch our faith, to refine our faith, and also so that we might bear witness and testimony to the world around us that his grace is more than sufficient. In those moments, don't look around, don't look within, look up. Choose to believe. He's my help and my shield. You see, that's what the invitation is to 
Listen, the whole nation to the preachers or the priests, right? The house of Aaron, those who lead God's people in worship. I have to entertain thoughts that are worthy of God and recognize who he is. I should inspire you to entertain thoughts that are worthy of God and to look up to him and trust in him. Anyone, everyone, all who fear the Lord, trust in him. Only he is a true help and only he is a true shield. I mean, Sherwin sang beautifully, the choir did. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Are we like that through the week? Honestly. What are we conveying to the world around us? I don't know how we'll make it. Don't know. Is God on his throne or not? Is he transcendent? Is he above all things? Is he sufficient for all things? Yes, he is. Let's live like that. Let's believe like that. Let's convey that message to the world around us. Believe in him. Trust in the Lord. It's faith. Let's be honest. It's orienting my faith on him and him alone. Even when the circumstances would suggest, why are you doing that? Because he's told me to in his word. He's demonstrated time and time again that he is reliable, that he is sufficient, that he is to provide all that I need. Do you realize we're saved by faith, but we don't just make a decision and then try to figure it out along the, the way we live. You know, to just live by faith. It's the way I conduct myself. I take God at his word and I, I meditate on that truth and apply it in my life. And when I'm perplexed, I make a choice. I choose to believe I choose to trust. And sometimes this preacher has to say, God, help my unbelief. I'm glad Jesus said we could do that. But you know why we are invited to trust? Because we have a God who blesses. We have a God who has demonstrated his blessings toward us. You see, this song, Psalm 115, was in this category from Psalm 113 to 118. These are songs that were sung to praise God, to, to exalt Him, to magnify Him. And, and, and people would sing these songs in worship settings and particularly at the Passover celebration. And Psalm 115 was often sung after the Passover meal. Now stop and think about that just for a moment. The Israelites would gather and they would celebrate of God's deliverance when they were in bondage. How God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt and he sent the Passover uh, angel at that time. And they ate the Passover lamb. Now beloved, a greater than that has come for us. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John said, the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus. Praise God. What more must God demonstrate to us, though He's holy, other, transcendent? He stepped into this world and supplied what we needed. Why won't we trust in Him? Why won't we believe in Him? His word to you and me on that cross is quite simply, trust me. I'm your help and I'm your shield. Wow, what an invitation. Why wouldn't we just run down here right now? God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. You see, our God is a blessing kind of God. Notice what he says in verses 12 through 15. I mean, five times he's going to say this over and over and over again to these same three audiences, Israel, the, the, the sons of Aaron, the house of Aaron, and those who fear the Lord. The Lord has been mindful of us. That's a blessing in and of itself. Amen? I mean, a God who's holy other takes time to think about you and me. 
I think about David's song when he's singing there with his lambs out, out in the fields. And, and he's regarding the, the greatness and the glory of God in Psalm 8. And he just goes, what is man that you even take thought of him? Wow. He's holy other. And yet he thinks about you and me. He's mindful of us. What an amazing God. Wow. Who am I? You ever do that at night? I do oftentimes when I'm walking the dogs at 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, and it's just beautiful out in the country, nothing but the stars. You just look up, man, you're awesome. Who am I that you would take thought of me and, and, and allow me to be your child and to be your servant? Wow. Can't wait to get up there and find out what that all looks like. Amen? Do you recognize he's mindful of us? Notice this. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He, he will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. Man, there's hope for all of us. Amen? He's a gracious, benevolent God. He blesses. Why would I want to bow down to some idol that can do nothing for me when the God who has every blessing at his fingertips can just speak and it's there for you and for me? I mean, any good thing that comes into your life and my life, James would tell me in James chapter 1, it starts with him there in heaven. I mean, anything good, any good gift comes from him way up there. And he speaks it down into your life and my life. Yet we grumble and complain because we don't have enough. Sometimes we just haven't asked, James would say. You have not because you ask not. Right? Wow. We, we've entertained thoughts that aren't even worthy of him. We've, we've brought him down to this level. We forgot he's up there. In fact, you know what is amazing in Christ? According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, in Christ we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not just here. All of them are for you and for me. When we have repented and placed our faith and trust in him. Material blessings, spiritual blessings. God is the giver of all those blessings. And they're available to us because of what Christ did at Calvary. He opened the door of blessing for you and for me. In fact, the crisis evidently was so bad. Perhaps this is a time of judgment for God's people. Perhaps they had been slaughtered and lost many lives. Because it's amazing what he would say in verses 14 and verse 15. May the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. May you be blessed. May your children be blessed. Be fruitful and multiply. Experience the blessing of God. And let God multiply whatever gifts of bounty he has given to you. And may it be a testimony. Our God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. He's over both. And he blesses and pours down. Those lifeless idols, in contrast, they never provide anything. They don't even promise anything. They can't speak. All they do is leave you longing for more. The man who whittles his little idol and puts it there, he's hungry in about six hours and needs another pot of stew. And probably another tree to stay warm. They never bless. They only deaden. Our God gives life. He gives blessing. He gives favor. And what you and I should do is recognize who he is and trust in him. And then live your life praising him. It's how he started the psalm in Psalm 1, but it's also how he ends it in verses 16 through 18. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's. And the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise him, the Lord, 
nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. You see, when I recognize God is transcendent, heaven's his, all of it's his, the heavens and the earth. But what he's done is he's made you and made me, listen, his representatives on the earth, it says in verse 16 in the second half. We are, we are his representatives here. We are the image of God, and we are to declare to this world around us, our God reigns. This is all his. And one day you'll have to give an account to him. They might not like that, by the way, in our current culture. It's okay. I don't care what they think. What matters is what God says. What matters is what God... Now listen, if you don't believe this is the authority, then you're going to have a problem with that. But when you surrender to His Word and what He has spoken, and you appreciate that this Word brings life, then you know what? You realize, I need to surrender and yield. I need to recognize who He is and praise Him and glorify Him. The the spiritually dead, they will not praise Him here and now. They won't praise Him when they die. Those lifeless idols that they bow down to in worship that couldn't give them life will not give them eternal life. They'll have death. And they'll experience separation from God. But for you and me, we praise Him. We magnify Him. We celebrate Him. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There should be resolve in your heart and my heart. If we've been blessed by God, saved by the precious blood of the Lamb, and we have a relationship with Him, our lives should be marked by praising Him and magnifying His name. Blessing Him today and generations to follow. There should be a spiritual heritage in our life. We should be praying for this. God, that I would worship you and magnify you. You're the exalted God and that my children would do it and my grandchildren. Man, I play sometimes to the sixth and seventh generation in my office. God, I want your favor upon my children and upon my grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-grandchildren. God, I want your favor on them that they would magnify you and worship you and celebrate you. Declare to this world around us, there's no God like our God. He is the God who is over all things. You see, the wicked will not ultimately prosper. It appears for a moment they are. The psalmist was there in Psalm 73. He says, you know what? I looked around and I saw, why why am I keeping my hands clean? Why am I making all these commitments? Why am I serving the Lord this way? Look at how well the wicked are doing. They seem to have no problems. They seem to be happy. All things are going well for them. And he said, I almost betrayed the Lord to another generation. I almost failed to declare to them who he is. And it didn't happen until I came into his sanctuary and I regarded their end, what would happen. And then I realized, I know who he is. I know what he's promised. I'm going to live for it. Parents, we should be giving our children a great vision of God. They need to be inspired that there's no God like our God. Grandparents as well for the grandchildren. We set the the, the pace. And we should be living in such a way that we bring glory and honor to Him. Our lives demand a supernatural explanation. When things happen in our life, you know what? Let me tell you, I'm trusting in the Lord. Here's what the, the precepts. 
that I'm living by. Here's the promises that I'm trusting in. Here's what I'm holding on to. The God who holds on to me. No matter what happens, he's faithful. He's true. No matter what happens, he loves me. His hesed mercy is evident. I mean, he's given us these covenant blessings. He's promised us these things. Not just Israelites have this blessing. We have a new covenant in the blood of Christ. And nothing will separate us from his great love. You see, here's the, here's the, the, the thrust of verses 16 through 18 as we praise him. Listen, if you've got life, if you've got breath right now, praise him. Magnify him. One day, as you praise him here, you'll just step over from this side to that side. And guess what you'll do over there? Praise Him while you can. And don't waste your life on substitute gods, idols, things that can do nothing 